Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church Extras podcast based on the Matthew series with your host, Senior Pastor John Sauer. This is episode three. Thanks for joining us today. Hello, and welcome to Stonebridge Extras. I'm Pastor John, the Senior Pastor of Stonebridge Community Church, and Stonebridge Extras is a podcast series that we do where we look at different ideas, concepts, themes that we just couldn't address in the actual sermon. I couldn't get to it for for some reason, but it's interesting and it's fascinating and it's important. So right now we're focused on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. And the last two weeks, we've looked at the history of interpretation. We looked at Constantine and the church before the emperor Constantine and the way they interpreted the Sermon on the Mount, where they did it literally. We looked at after Constantine to Aquinas, where by the time you get to Thomas Aquinas, a a noted theologian, you have a distinction between what's recommended and what's a precept, what's commanded. And then we looked at the Reformation, where Luther and Calvin both allowed for Christians, for different reasons, to not uphold Jesus's words as a standard. And then last week, I gave my own take, um, based largely on the influence of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his experience in Nazi Germany. And again, if you are interested in Bonhoeffer, I recommend the Charles Marsh biography called Strange Glory, where you can learn about his life because Bonhoeffer's life was one where he was constantly reflecting on the Sermon on the Mount. And that's the only biography that I would actually recommend for various reasons. So Charles Marsh, Strange Glory. But the Sermon on the Mount, the way I think we are to receive it, the way I think we are to respond to it is as though this is a new law. And I want to be clear when I say that on what I mean, because Martin Luther and John Calvin, they didn't really like the idea that this was a new law. They didn't like that concept. Uh, Calvin, especially, didn't really want to see this as a new law. So let me state where I'm coming from on that. To me, when you look at the text, the plainest sense of the text, and you look at the way the Gospel of Matthew has placed the Sermon on the Mount, The comparisons to Moses are overwhelming. So, you have, like I've said in the sermons, you have Matthew comparing Moses at birth, where Jesus goes down into, sorry, Matthew comparing Jesus and Moses from birth. Jesus goes down into Egypt, comes back up like Moses brought the Israelites out. You have the the slaughtering of, the massacre of the innocents, where the children are are killed, um, both for Moses and for Jesus. You have the temptation in the desert. All that takes place. Then you get to the Sermon on the Mount. You have the idea that Jesus went up the mountain just like Moses did. And then you have this long, extensive speech where Jesus is clearly interpreting the law of Moses. So, It's hard for me to look at this and to not say that Matthew wants us to see this as the the authoritative interpretation of the law. 
And I think, and this happens to the best of us, I think with Luther and Calvin, their theology got the best of them on this. That they started viewing the text through their theology rather than looking at it in the simplest possible light. And I get how that could happen. They both were very concerned about what's called works righteousness. The church had become corrupt in their day. And the church was selling salvation and maybe making people think that it was through human behavior that they would achieve salvation and shaming people and using the church and using Jesus' teachings to hold power over people. So I get where Luther and Calvin are coming from, but I just think they went a little too far. I don't see how we can look at the way Matthew has presented this teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, and not say that he's presenting it as a new law. And maybe not a new law, but the deepest possible expression of the law. And let me just support this with two quotes from the Sermon on the Mount. The first is Matthew 5, 17 through 19. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So let's just look at that quote real quick. That is not a quote that is looking at the law as something that is negative. That's not a quote that's looking at those teachings that Jesus is saying and basically saying there's carve-outs here. You don't have to try to follow all these. And therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. I don't see how we look at that and say, one, that this isn't a new law, that this is the expression of the law. Maybe it's consistent with the law of a previous, but this is the deepest expression of the law. And two, that we're supposed to teach people that you don't have to actually take this seriously. That if you're a government official, you don't have to actually take this seriously. This seems pretty clear that Jesus is saying that his purpose in coming and in giving the Sermon on the Mount, it's to help us understand what God's will is for our life as expressed through the law. So, that quotation, it's hard for me to get around that when I'm looking at this passage as the law or not. Um, another quotation, this is, this is not so much as a quotation, but this is, so, this is more of Jesus using this constant refrain in the Sermon on the Mount. At Matthew 5, 21, 27, 31, 33, 38, and 43, Jesus is going to give, well, not going, in, in this passage, he does give these series of teachings where he begins them by saying, you have heard that it was said, and then he'll quote the law of Moses. You have heard that it was said, and then Jesus says, but I say to you. Now, some have taken that teaching and said that Jesus is actually setting the law aside. 
You have heard that it was said, but then I say to you that Jesus is discarding the law of Moses. But that is a misreading of what is going on here. In these statements, Jesus quotes the law each time. He quotes Exodus, he quotes Deuteronomy, he quotes Leviticus, he quotes Numbers. Basically, all four of the books that have legal teaching in them, Jesus quotes. So, just subtly here, in the way that Matthew has presented this, Jesus has a very extensive knowledge of the law. And Jesus has already said that he came not to abolish the law or to discard it, but to fulfill it. And I'll close today's with talking about fulfill in a moment here. But this formula, Jesus is not drawing a contrast between his teaching and the teaching of the law. The better way I think of thinking about this is that Jesus is deepening the teaching of the law. One commentator writes that Jesus' proclamation of the will of God is the door to the Old Testament or to the law. You can think of it this way. As though Jesus is saying, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, he's opening up a door right there. So that when you open up that door, you can actually understand God's will through the law more clearly. Jesus is taking the law, simplifying it in some ways, but showing us the deepest truth of the law. Now, some people will say there's the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. And here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is giving the spirit of the law. I don't think that that's accurate because Jesus is still giving the letter of the law. He still has specific commandments that we are to try to live out. So the law is not something to be cast out, to be thrown off. More than anything else, the effect of these quotations, they serve to emphasize the seriousness with which Jesus and Matthew, the writer of the gospel, take the law of Moses. It doesn't just affect outward behavior. It affects our hearts, our minds. It affects our desires. It changes the way we view the world. Take, for instance, Jesus' teaching that you have heard that it was said that do not do not murder, but I tell you that if you are angry with your brother or sister, then you've already committed murder. That's what I mean by a deepening of the teaching. That it's not just the behavior that changes. When you want to follow Jesus, when you do follow Jesus, the heart changes also. I mean, the behavior still changes, but the heart changes as well, and that's expected. So we don't get to just hate our brother, our neighbor, our sister. It's a deepening of the law in our lives. I know that we Protestants don't do well with the idea of law. But we have to remember, Jesus and Matthew, they just viewed the law differently than we do. To them, it was a source of life. 
To them, it was the way we saw God's will. To them, it was God's will revealed to us, and it was a way that we stayed in relationship with God. So we can't go back and impose our own thoughts here. And I said that I wanted to close this by focusing on the idea of fulfill. I mean, our sermon series is called Fulfilled. And Jesus says, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Now, according to the Reformers, what that means is Jesus came to achieve salvation for all by living a perfect life, living a sinless life. And I'm sure that there's truth in that. But Jesus doesn't then discard the law after he does that. I mean, again, he says he wasn't going to abolish it. He doesn't want people teaching that you don't have to follow it, that you can just break the commandments that he then outlines for us. I think just more, more than just focusing on Jesus fulfilling the law and what that means is we're meant to look at how Jesus gives us a path to living a life that fulfills the law through him, not through our own efforts for salvation, but when we're talking about fulfilling the law, meaning living up to the hopes God has for us in this life, living up to the desires as expressed in the law of the relationship we would have with God. The Sermon on the Mount gives us that glimpse. It shows us what a fulfilled life looks like, and it does so as the new law, as the expression of the law, the deepest, most fulfilled expression of the law. And it invites us into that type of a relationship with God. So one of the things that I have just tried to focus on this last year is the fact that in the Bible, the law isn't something that's negative. It's not just a chain around our necks. The law was laid out to give us life. And I've been focusing on that because I don't think you can understand the Sermon on the Mount without really understanding that that's the way the law functions in the Gospels, and especially the Gospel of Matthew. Most of Matthew's quotes come from the legal texts of the Torah, come from the law. And until we wrap our minds around the reality that the Gospels talk about the law as something that is life-giving, I don't think we can truly embrace what it is Jesus is offering us here in the Sermon on the Mount. So, again, whenever I'm talking about the Sermon on the Mount being the new law, I'm not talking about works righteousness. I'm not talking about trying to earn God's favor. I'm talking about this being the way that we give people a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven, this being a way that people get hope, and this being a way that we deepen our relationship with God by reflecting on these teachings that Jesus gives us, by looking at these as a stand-in for the law. One thing that I thought was fascinating in my studies on this phrase that Jesus uses of, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. That phrase was one that would be commonly used by teachers. And it wasn't meant to denigrate what was said before, 
but it was meant to place the teacher using the phrase. You've heard that it was said, but I said before, the teacher that uses that phrase, it places them a step above what came before. And that's what Jesus does with himself and the law. He doesn't tear the law down, but he elevates himself. The law still stays in its same place, but Jesus stands above it. And from that position, he invites us into it. Again, not to earn salvation, but to be in relationship with God, to be his disciples. So, I hope that that's cleared up a little bit about what I mean when I say that this is the new law. And I hope that it's helped you understand how the Sermon on the the Mount can function in your life. That this invitation, it extends to you. It extends to you taking Jesus' word seriously, not to earn God's salvation, but to accept the offer that is made to you, to live life to its fullest, to be fulfilled through Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount is the closest we will get to it in this life. And when I say it, I mean a fulfilled life. So I hope that that clarifies some of what I mean when I say that the Sermon on the Mount is a new law. I hope it also clarifies where my own disagreements with Calvin and Luther are. Um, While I'm shaped by their theology, they didn't get everything perfect. Um, Nobody gets everything perfect in this life. And this is one area where I think that they overreacted a little bit and ignored the plainest sense of the text. I think Matthew does present this as a form of law. But I think Matthew does that from a positive view of the law and one that Matthew learned from Jesus. So, have a good week. God bless you, and I look forward to talking with you all next week. 